Hi everyone, my name is Christopher Bonheim and you're listening to the BIN podcast. Simply the podcast for those who want to learn from the very best in business, tech and entrepreneurship. Let's start the show. Johan Lind started Vertisit with the vision of shaping the future of retail. Their job is to support and challenge their clients in their in-store transformation and bridging the digital experience with the physical in a seamless customer journey. In this episode, Johan explains why he decided with his co-founders to start Vertisit and the impact of the financial crisis in 2008, how they have managed to stay profitable all the way and grow every quarter, their business model and the evolution behind it, his best advice on scaling a company abroad, and the future of retail and its impact on global brands and businesses. Let's start the show. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q-U-A-R-T-R. All opinions expressed by Christopher Wonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Wonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to be joined by Johan. And Johan, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Let's go uh, all the way back. You're brought up in a small Swedish town. Tell me a bit about your home place and what's the best part of growing up there. Yeah, so uh, actually I've grown up uh, outside Varberg on the west coast of of Sweden. So it's uh, south of Gothenburg. It's like 35 minutes by train. So it, it's actually um, a town where like the majority of all shoes passing into Sweden goes from our hometown. Uh, it uh, uh, has a heritage uh, from uh, a lot of small tech companies and also uh, retail companies. And uh, also the access to Gothenburg within 35 minutes, I think it's uh, very advantageous for us. Um, but uh, if you look at the size of the city, it's one out of thousand people. It's uh, it's a place where most people come uh, during the summer for their holiday. How early did you find an interest in either business or entrepreneurship? Was it growing up, or did it come later in life? Um, it was actually during my school period. I think it um, it was a topic that. Um, we used to discuss a lot among friends, and uh, so I actually was on a path going to like um, being a software engineer and studying at, at the Chalmers University. But I changed path uh, during like the last year, and um, 
um, I decided to go for marketing and business instead, uh, but I actually didn't finish it off. I just did one year and after that I was um, recruited to uh, a company that scaled the retail business from like five, five stores to 15. And it was a really good, good start in my career because we had huge freedom to, to do what we believed in during that journey. And, um, and four years after that, we, me and one of, uh, uh, one of the store, uh, store manager there actually started advertising ourselves. We, we wanted to do our own journey at that point. To tell us about that moment when you decided to change the path of going the other way and you said, okay, I'm going to try this route instead. Was it anything in particular that made you, you decide to change path or was it just a combination of many things? I, I think it was a combination of many things, but uh, the, the fundamental was that we had a very interesting period in this three years scaling that business. But actually, the, the business was in better shape when it was like two, three stores than it was after 15 stores because the, the, um, the scaling of the business um, was, uh, when they started to scale, it was never profitable again. Um, and also at that point, the, uh, the founder that was really like the energy in the company uh, become the, uh, sick. Uh, so these two things that we didn't really saw that it had a bright future and also that uh, the founder Benny there that was the, the like great entrepreneur uh, was out of the picture. That was the two main things. So, so, so when you have this idea for Vatisit, is it is it one particular moment where you have the sort of aha moment, or is it an, an idea that sort of grows over time, and then it's like the timing aspect that you say, okay, now is the right time to try this idea, or how how did it that look like? Actually, it was uh, I was the purchasing manager in this company, and uh, we had the store manager for one of the stores. Uh, we uh, it was close to the headquarters, so we had breakfast every day at the cafe cafeteria. Uh, so we discussed a lot of, you know, we were both mutually interested in in business, and uh, so we discussed a lot of business ideas at the time. Uh, so the first thing we decided upon was that we need to do something ourselves, <laughs> uh, and uh, we had a lot of ideas. We discussed during a year, I think, but. It was one thing that like sticked to us. Then we, um, and that was that the digital transformation that just started. Um, we said that this need to affect thing that is outside the computer. And you know, in 2007, it was like the uh, people didn't have iPhones in Sweden. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, but but we really saw that this will have an effect. So we started to work in. The, uh, for a half a year to do the planning, to like write the business plan, go to the bank and try to find financing. And, and, then, um, uh, and then we just came to a point that we said, this is nothing we could do during the weekends. This is 100% or not. Um, so um, we took as big loan as we could on the bank. Uh, I sold my car. <laughs> we, we quit our jobs. Uh, and uh, just went from there, three three guys in my apartment. That's very, very interesting. I mean, so during this time, we also have the financial crisis coming to us as well. 
Did that have an impact at all or not? Because you guys are in Sweden and you are not really that, you know, affected by the financial crisis. That it definitely, definitely had. Um, it, it could be a long story, but the, <laughs> the good thing was that we secured like financing um, before, uh, like end 2007. So uh, we, we took a loan of 1 million Swedish crown from Almi, it's like a, a state-backed, uh, and uh, 1 million from the local, uh, local bank, where we took a 100% guarantee ourselves, private. Um, and um, if, if that would have been like six months later, uh, uh, it wouldn't have been possible at that time. So um, uh, that was a good timing. But also after a year when we started to get business, <laughs> then it was hard to get finance at that stage, even, even though we actually were profitable the first year. Uh, we had a hard time like financing uh, the company after that. Uh, because it was still still really like freezed when it comes to the opportunity to take up loans. Uh, but we managed to solve that as well. So let's talk about product market fit. Obviously, you were going in the retail industry. You had this, okay, digitalization. Obviously, that's a massive trend. And it's the famous saying of that you need to have a niche, target a niche first, and then you can grow the market with that niche. But how, how did that journey look for you guys? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. We um, actually the only thing that we saw that was the like digital communication uh, will impact how we interact with each other and how we communicate in the public space. So um, from the beginning, we were we were looking at so many different verticals, um, um, but. The first thing we went into to take a niche was digital out of home. It's outdoor advertising. Uh, it, it was good because people started to put up like LED screens that they imported from Asia. But we uh, we said we want to do the backbone. We want to do the booking system. How to price campaign? How to schedule based on share of voice? How to calculate the reach? All of this. How to uh, like configure and quotes. Um, and uh, after three years, we said we have 80% market share. Um, but uh, the, what we didn't tell was that the market was only 150 screens in Sweden. <laughs> so it was like the worst, worst market to be like the number one in. Uh, so at that point, uh, we needed to decide, should we go international? Uh, we did a lot of home business. Uh, or should we broaden into other verticals. Uh, and uh, for many reasons, we, we choose to broaden because we, we were too small and it was uh, too big uh, differences between the market, how, how you worked with like measure the, those type of campaigns. So uh, we did a lot of verticals, uh, public, corporate, retail, advertising. And five years later, uh, we actually have 85% of our revenue from a customer meeting. So then we, then we focused on uh, retail where we are today. So now we do digital in-store solutions to really enhance the customer experience in-store, uh, to bridge the customer journey from online to like in-person in the store. Is there any lessons from landing those first few clients? Because obviously that's a very hard task to do when you're just starting out, I guess. Yeah, uh, like we we really built the company from 
like stone by stone. So um, we like been profitable the whole journey. We like really bootstrapped strategy. We took like the local pizzeria as one of our first customers. So we went from like the local pizzeria to Porsche globally <laughs> and everything in there in between. Um, and uh, we'll, um, also like I was 24 years old when I started the company. So I think it, it's also it's also a journey where you need to grow the business, where you grow yourself as an entrepreneur and, uh, and grow the team and your skills. And so I think it's it's a it's a lot of good things with growing a company over time, um, and also to always try to be profitable. In uh, of course there are arguments where you need to invest a lot of money, take the market like Spotify for example. But in a, in most cases, <laughs> at least I think it's it's better to do business that are profitable because in so many cases it's really hard to change from like not being profitable and only only like focus on market share and try to change that back to a model where you are profitable would be really, really hard. I agree. Uh, <clears throat> I know this is a very hard question to answer, but so many companies that start fail after two or three years and don't exist anymore. On the one hand, I guess that's a good thing because it's a, it's a bit bad being stuck in a business that isn't going nowhere, right? Spending 10 years of your life sort of trying to make it survive year by year. So, of course, some businesses should stop. But do you have any specific insight into why you believe so many companies can survive those first few years? Uh, obviously, there are many things. Uh, of course, it takes to... You need to reach a certain size where you can carry your own costs. I think that's almost like the hardest thing is like to get your first and your second employee that's uh, in my opinion i think uh, companies that have like reached like five employees are the heroes <laughs> it it's so so much work uh, until you reach that level but um, if you look from a strategic perspective i think one thing that we agreed on was like have a clear path where do we want to be so like clear view on vision, uh, clear view on like the business models, but and but not to be to have a recipe for like the next quarter. <laughs> so you need to know like maybe we need to do this consultancy work that is not core in our business model now. Uh, we, but we need to know that we're out of. Uh, we we're driving a little bit like outside the road, the main road, uh, but we know that we are doing it because it it will actually benefit us. Like we will get the cash from that business, and you can allow yourself to to drive outside the road if you know you're doing it. Uh, but most uh, com if I look to uh, many companies that have like um, uh, helped uh, in different ways. Uh, they they like change their whole their whole like business ID twice a year, and I think that's that's really that's really tough. If you change your business ID, if you change your uh, change your vision business model too often, uh, then then you will have uh, like uh, problem. And also if you have 
like this is my business idea this is the plan this is exactly the step that i will take then most likely you don't take enough feedback from the customers so i think be be like strict on the long-term path be strict on like business model but be flexible and adaptive to the market where you're acting and listen to your customers is is sort of the concept that we try to, uh, to use and then it has been uh, beneficial for us i mean i couldn't agree more i think it all goes back to that uh, i think it's the uh Andreessen saying that be stubborn on the wish vision and flexible in, in the details so i definitely agree with you uh, if you go over to the retail industry can you just quickly explain where you believe retail is today because obviously it's changed a lot during covid and also, like, how do you view the retail market going forward as well? Yeah, it's a super interesting topic. And it, it's a lot of trends going on. But if you, if you look before COVID, we really saw how a pattern where more and more business went into, like, the online channels. And, and, and what, what retailers struggled with was that their model and how they... Uh, their offering to the market really didn't map with how consumer behave. So, and we also like treated every channel specially. So it could, uh, it was like you have the online store and you have the physical store. But um, the, the most important thing to have in mind is that a customer never see themselves as a re- uh, online customer or a brick and mortar customer. <laughs> they see themselves as a customer for for a brand uh, and uh, different channels really support different needs so if we take a like really simple example um, if you order food from your favorite restaurant at home um, it might be the same dish but it's it it offers you something else than uh, like visiting the restaurant and eating there with your friends you know so so um it and and that's the way you should look at at retail that maybe i i need to go to the store to have someone that could help me find the right running shoes uh, uh, but when i when i have found my right running shoes maybe i make the repeat order online you know, but so the customer, uh, you need to look at what are this like, what are the real purpose and the offering with your different channels, um, and um, our aim there is of course making it all work together. So you can say on the, the big trends, if we come back to that, the stores are moving from transaction to service and uh, inspiration and uh, uh, a way of experience a brand. Um, in many ways. You could also see another big trend that is direct to consumer, uh, that uh, multi-channel retailers suffer and uh, the one that uh, t- take advantage and the one that grows now are brands moving in with their own online channels and their own retail facilities. So Nike is a great example. They went from 10% direct sell to consumer to 40% direct sales to consumer in just three years. 
and they have left like the big online platforms and uh, focus purely on their own their own uh, online channels and they have terminated 80% of the, their re resellers in the physical world and invested in like Nike stores uh, on global scale. So, um, and also new car brands. If you look at Polestar, for example, they go like they have uh, they have an online model and they build brand stores. Uh, um, so, so that's that's a huge uh, trend uh, as well. Uh, so, so what what do we see? We we still see in trend reports that five years from now, uh, brick and mortar will have. 75% of the turnover. Uh, and for me, it doesn't matter if it's 75 or 50% of the turnover, uh, because the, the important thing for us is that the uh, online and the physical are still two important channels that needs to work together. It's because that's where we are. Uh, and if it also have an effect that the stores are getting smaller, um, it also means that you need to have digital solutions to be able to offer your full range uh, through like digital touch points. And for some fa fashion brands that we work with now, uh, Jill Lindeberg, for example, 10% of their in-store sales is from the online assortment. So maybe you try, uh, try a black jacket and order a blue one in your size. Interesting. Um, maybe it's easier to use a concrete example that you've seen, but is it possible to sort of define the ultimate customer experience from a brand perspective? Um, really interesting. I, th I think it's it's uh, you need you, you need to look at it from like brand to brand. Uh, but um, if we if we look at Volvo now, for example, they they want to take back like the, they want you to buy the Volvo car from Volvo, not the dealer. And um, that's based on how they look on the customer journey and how people behave. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I think it's a good example. If you map it, like most likely you start in the sofa to like explore and maybe you start to configure a new car in the sofa at home. And uh, when you come to the to the dealership, you don't want to go to a desk to a salesperson that, uh, and you, because you maybe are not ready to like buy a car. And if you sit on a desk, that's the expectation. So in that case, we want to have um, uh, places where you can stand to uh, to really continue to configure on the car and explore the car that you built at home, and then you can do it mutually. Because you have, you might have seen the experience where you sit on a desk and they show you sometimes and ask you questions and you need to restart the customer journey because you already invested two hours at home. So you need to be able to continue the journey yourself or with a sales associate uh, and together like um, finalize uh, the car in this case. And then after that, uh, you need to have the right tools for the sales staff to be relevant for you in that customer meeting. So maybe they, they need to have digital tools to uh, be able to answer questions on environmental questions, financing, related services, or how uh, add-on on the car add value in your life. Um, and after that, we also in this journey implemented 
like accessory sales that uh, was really weak uh, before. So you could like find the right uh, accessories to your car based on the car that you configure and your lifestyle. Um, and also after that, uh, during the period where you wait on your car, you get emails, information, where you can start to explore and learn more about the features you have in the car. And then you have a point of delivery where, where we have a personalized experience where you really have an agenda that is based on you as a customer and the, the car. We, so we know what we should show you because if you have features that you paid for and we don't introduce you to them, that is a really bad experience. And also if they try to, uh, to show you features that you don't have, <laughs> it's also really bad. So that, that's, that's one example. So I think uh, it's, it, if you take the new car customer journey, and take it from start to finish is is logic, uh, but but uh, I need to like if you can take on the customer's eyes, see that some things you do at home, you start browsing at homes, you you continue to talk to the brand when you wait for your car uh, at home, and when you visit the, the dealership, for example, you need you need to be able to continue the journey, and um, of course the delivery moment is really interesting and after that you continue the life with the relationship to volvo with uh, uh, with all the services that they offer yeah uh, yeah i mean it's a very good good example because obviously there's a huge difference between the needs to a family of five worried about safety versus a guy that wants to ski all over norway and sweden and have yeah. like a car to to use that for but the other question I would I would love to ask is that obviously you are positioning your company in a field where many companies can say the same to clients because you also say that you want to increase sales, you want to increase the magic, and you want to increase loyalty. Obviously, that pitch can come from a lot of different companies, and those companies can be competitors or they can have synergies to each other. But talk a bit about, about that, that market in general because having worked for those companies that get pitched by those types of companies, there are many companies saying that we can increase your sales and we can increase loyalty. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really weak. The pitch that we will increase, if you, if you buy this, you will increase your sales with this. It's almost always a lie. <laughs> because if you, if you go back to like the basics in, in retail, if you, if you, you always know that it, it's, of course, the sign, even if it's a printed sign. Of course, it has an impact on the size of the sign <laughs> and how, how it visually looks. Uh, it also, like, where is it in, uh, if you go the journey in the store um, and how the products are exposed and what product it is and what price it is. <laughs> so, so, so. It's always a combination of so many factors. Uh, so that, there is not not like one single answer um, um, on that one. Um, so the things um, I don't like, like consultancy going into the companies to say uh, change or die, and uh, with our offering you will increase sales or loyalty with fifteen percent. Uh, that goes away. So we. Um, our say is like uh, more or less we we could. 
let's let's take a look on um, how your business uh, looks now how the customer journey looks uh, your off value proposition your offering and we could together see like what digital touch points could enhance the customer experience and uh, add value in your business and we do that together with the customer because they know their business best and uh, then for each and every touch point if you have we design like what is the purpose, what is the situation where the customer are, what is the communication, uh, what technology do we need, and what is the KPI to measure. And uh, to come back to the measurement point, I think we need to try and then measure. I think people start sometimes to look at, at like the measurement points instead of believing in something. I think. Have, have an idea, uh, trust that idea, and measure the result. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that said, if you look at things that are related to the brand experience, it's really hard to measure <clears throat> on one end. If you come to tactic communication, like go from, uh, in Burger King case, go from uh, people think about Whopper, but you want to sell the campaign meal, it's easy to like measure uh, how you can uh, convert people by upselling. Um, it's easy. Um, it's also easy to see um, if you have, for example, MSI like e-commerce sales in store is easy to measure. So when it's uh, transaction oriented, it's easy to measure uh, touch point by touch point. When it's brand experience, you need to measure it uh, on the concept as a whole. It's also hard to measure like the sofa or the premium lighting system. <laughs> Definitely. That's a perfect segue to your business model because obviously it's become a big business model, but maybe one of the key aspects is this SaaS offering. How can you tell it? How can you describe that model? Yeah. So what we're talking about now is really <clears throat> like what digital solutions can, can create the value in the customer's business. Um, if you look at from our perspective, uh, like what what is our business model is it's three parts um because we we come from a path where we have been like a full service provider in sweden and obviously now we we're we change this when we go on the international i will come back to that but so it starts with a consultancy work and uh, the consultancy work is project based or we can have retainers to enhance the solution over time um uh, and then we need to deliver like the equipment needed, uh, the displays and the technology um, for, to make it happen in reality. Um, but we charge like a license for every touch point uh, per month for license and support. And uh, so it's quite simple if we can have happy customers that grow with their solution over time, we keep the customers, then we will will grow the recurring rev uh, recurring revenue all the time. Uh, and actually we that this has been our focus all the time to keep customers uh, happy uh, like adding real business value to them because if we do that we know that they will expand the solution. Uh, and uh, the proof point of this is that we have grown the ARR uh, in uh, 39 quarters in a row. So one more quarter and it's uh, a 10 year streak. So, uh, 
the, so that that's uh, that's really good and so our mindset is always like we don't want to do like the fireworks because uh, after um, after a year they they want to do new fireworks in the flagship stores and <laughs> uh, we will be like moving away so we want to do the things that are like scalable for 400 stores uh, maybe not always that uh, cool but we know that the the things that they scale for 400 stores uh, it's applications that really add value for the customer and that will last over time I mean, that's a super interesting point because there's a big difference between getting one flag store um, store super nice versus having the whole portfolio of stores working together. So obviously, uh, serving that problem is a much better solutions, uh, solution. Uh, looking at sort of just a customer experience, last question, it's, it's obviously easy to be fascinated by Apple and Tesla and you can you can pretty easily make an argument that they have cracked, you know, the code of creating big brands and especially Apple is well known for their stores. Are you inspired by those brands as well? Or is it, are there other brands that you're more inspired of? Uh, We always look and I think we always, we are super nerdy when it comes to retail, of course. And I think we... We, we spend a lot of time like discussing all new brands that are coming into the market and different approaches that they have. But um, the, the brands that you point at right now with Tesla and Apple, it's I, I think that's where things are heading right now, that you really have like a clear, clear value proposition, a clear brand and uh, brand offering. And um, that the people can relate to. And um, I think it will continue on the path where brands uh, really gain in comparison to to, to like uh, multi-brand retailers. That said, I think there will be a comeback because not many brands can offer you the full solution. Um, maybe Nike can offer you everything when it comes to running and baseball and football and so on. but many brands are too small so there are also huge opportunities for for being like the niche player for running or for skiing or for uh, where where you really could could like build a portfolio brand to to present uh, so i think uh, that might be the next uh, the next thing that will happen in the market that you have new better position full service provider that let the brands talk to themselves, but in in the in the place where uh, they strengthen each other. We haven't talked about uh, demographics at all. Is there anything very interesting that you would like to just talk about? Because there is a big difference between Gen Z and millennials and baby boomers, etc. Are you seeing anything that makes you really curious? Yeah, um, but actually, I think it's in different different part of your life also um, because you can also see that people that grown up with like internet and being like the majority of their purchase online uh, when they become um, a little bit older they have more money uh, to spend they start to work and so on they also prefer to spending less less time and also invest more in in uh, in in products that they really love. So 
Um, I, I actually, actually, I, I think you, the, you, I don't think the differences are that big as when you read reports <laughs> about it. Um, um, I think it's more individual. And I think it, it's more about what, what market you're in. I get it. Uh, let's talk about the, um, the journey or the time where you, you had the sort of epiphany that we need to scale in Europe because we are in the market where maybe there will be few winners and now is the time to really scale because we touched upon the product market fit and having a very nice growth trajectory. But there is a point here where you say that, okay, we need to scale for real now. Can you talk? Can you just go through that um, that process? Yeah, uh, absolutely. What what we what we saw that there was a very uh, a new market. A lot of players went into the field. In I, I think I have a PowerPoint presentation where 30, 30 competitors in Sweden only. <laughs> so, uh, but the companies were like zero to five people, um, and. Um, but we saw that it was it was really not many of them made made it as always in the market, and it it was uh, really a lot of acquisitions going on to consolidate the market. And uh, we were actually in a good position where we we were profitable and had the opportunity to acquire companies that actually didn't made it uh, at that time. So we bought the actually the the customer base. It was no strategic acquisitions. It was not the people, not the product. But actually what we want uh, was the, the customer base. And then we figured out that uh, this, this market had really high barriers to change supplier. Uh, because you have a platform that is integrated to data. You have customer-specific applications. And then you have also physical devices that are uh, with software that are connected to the cloud. Uh, so um, so after some acquisitions, we saw that, yeah, we always grow even on the acquired customer base. Uh, so that make, of course, it has with our offering to do, but to be honest, it has, has really much to do with, uh, with the barriers also. So... Um, um, and what we have seen now in the market is that it's the same pattern in Europe, especially when it comes to the full service provider that do uh, strategy, that do hardware, and, uh, and also for software, their own or another uh, independent software vendors. Um, so we looked at other industries, what has happened there. And you can see that all markets that uh, become mature get category winners and they get more and more specialized. Uh, so we said that we, if you look at e-commerce, for example, if you have WooCommerce, uh, Magento, <laughs> Shopify, then after a while you have, uh, they have like 75% of the market share or so, uh, the big five. Um, and uh, also, you can look at iGaming or whatever uh, market uh, <laughs> that you have uh, specialized vendors in in different fields of uh, the value chain. Um, so we said, where do we want to be in this value chain? We can't be like a full service provider globally. Uh, so we said we want to be the platform uh, 
we want to be the category winner within in-store experience management. Uh, so, and so we looked at the, the we looked at the market, and we also said that the acquisitions would be bigger than they are today. So that was the decision why we went public. Uh, so we uh, did an IPO uh, two years ago on the, in in Stockholm First North, uh, Nasdaq First North. And uh, the purpose of that was to be able to access capital to continue to acquire companies because we saw that acquisitions become bigger and bigger, and we will not have the capacity with our own cash flow to manage that. Um, and um, then we identified like the best uh, competitor when it comes to uh, when it comes to the platform side of the business. So we did a big acquisition before the summer of grassfish in uh, Vienna. In, uh, they were the number one in the duck region. Um, so we went from 65 people to uh, 130 people overnight. What's the, uh, what's the hardest part of scaling in your opinion? I know it's a lot of things, but you have hiring, you have culture, you have acquisition. How do, what do you think is the hardest part of scaling in the right way? It's uh, it's a really good question. I I think as as long as long as you can like have a really good culture in place, and uh, and you can find like you can say middle management with like a handful of people that when you go from yourself being involved in any new business, <laughs> being involved in all operational uh, decisions that need to be taken on a daily basis. Uh, the, the biggest, um, uh, the, the best thing you could achieve is to have like a, a set of people that could act uh, as middle management that really like uh, duplicate, <laughs> duplicate that. Um, I think that that's, that's the most important uh, step uh, to achieve. So how would you describe your culture and how have you tried to enforce it or make the whole organization act in a similar way? Um, it's, I, I think we're, one thing that unites us is that we are really like obsessed in like creating value for the customer. So what a lot of companies can say. The, the other thing that um, it's, it, we have a culture where you need to have a lot of like diversity when it comes to uh, knowledge of people uh, and really to trust in that um, and that's easier than it sounds so but we need to have uh, strategists that could ha have a workshop with the best retailers there is we need to have uh, ux designers developers motion designers art directors we have support technicians we have supply chain people uh, and and uh, uh, of course, a sales organization with different profiles. So we have a huge variety of uh, people, and and uh, you need to embrace the you need to embrace uh, the diversity of people and that culture. But you also need to trust uh, in each other. So that's that's really at the core of uh, what we see and. There is a huge trust uh, that uh, I, I never heard someone like raise their voice to another person at the office. It's never happened. 
Interesting. If we look at uh, retail, let's take Europe. What do you think is the biggest lesson Europe can learn from Asia? Because I remember when I was looking at trends in retail, it was always something crazy going on in Asia. And obviously they're so digital native that they have sort of almost feels like they've come further than Europeans when it comes to using digital products at least. Yeah, and uh, I think it's curiosity and they are brave to like try. Um, it's um, it's too much, much talk and too less trying in Europe. Um, um, I, I, we usually say that in the office, it's, it's like core of what we need to solve for the retailers. It's getting, take the step from, uh, from the strategy and from the PowerPoint into the reality and into the customer meeting where it happens. And in China and Asia, they're much better on this. They, they try and try and try and try like, uh, where, where it happens. And uh, that's the biggest, uh, biggest thing. Uh, so uh, I also used to travel a lot, in, especially into China. Um, and uh, that fascinates me all the time, that um, they really dare, dare to try new things. It's not so polished, but they dare to try. And I think they learn a lot from that. And um, I, I think they will benefit so much 10 years from now from uh, having the ability to try. Agreed. So uh, you set some very ambitious goals and you managed to reach them, I don't know, one or two years before time. So even like, so are you setting the bar too low or are you just like going over expectations? Talk to us about those goals you reached. Yeah, um, we went, when we went public, we said we, we have still a small company. We have uh, 25 million Swedish crown in, uh, in era or so. Um, and we said that uh, three years from now, we will double it. Um, and uh, we also want to have one of the largest uh, retail brands in a global rollout. Um, and actually, um, due to the acquisition of Grossfish, and, uh, we managed to achieve them uh, one and a half year uh, in advance. So now we're at 66 million in ARR and we aim for 200 uh, in the end of uh, 2024. And uh, 2026, uh, we want to be the number one in-store experience management platform uh, on a global scale. Uh, so it's, uh, it's ambitious goals, but it's definitely doable. And, uh, but what we, what we said when we went public, we said that, we want to act as we do now. Um, uh, and so we, we want to communicate the same goals like to the market as we really believe in ourselves. And we want the goals to correlate with the way we do budgeting and stuff. So, so that said that um, we want to have goals that we could overperform. Uh, and um, because I, I don't want to put expectations uh, in the market uh, that I don't believe in myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to over deliver one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy if I can deliver uh, like one year in advance uh, this time as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. If we, uh, I mean, it's a good segue because a lot of people who are tuning in are 
investors in different scale. And and one of the, the questions was from a very good investor in Sweden who asked the question, why should he own the stock? Or let's make it easy. Why should he be owning this company for the next three to five to ten years? And I guess one way to answer that is also just tell uh, telling, it, uh, telling us about the market opportunity and where you're going to position yourself. I think, of course... Like, uh, I think we definitely will benefit from the big mega trends in retail. Uh, and uh, because the new consumer behavior, um, you really need to be able to meet your customer both both online and in person, and it needs to work together. And uh, we are an enabler in this space, so the market is, is growing uh, well, uh, in double digits. Uh, if you look at our company in particular, if we have like 10 straight year of uh, ARR uh, growth every quarter, it's just it's 30, 39 quarters in a row. So one more quarter and we're in 10 years. And it, it makes it also really easy to follow the customer as an investor. You could like look at the quarter report, the first page and see, are you still growing according to plan? Um, uh, so the downside is really, really low uh, uh, because uh, um, you could always uh, like measure the, the SaaS revenue at the, any specific point. Uh, always profitable, that uh, it's our mantra. We want to grow with continued profitability. We don't need to have the highest profitability when we grow, but we, we want to grow with profitability. Um, so, and... Um, our goal now is to reach uh, reach 200 millions in ARR and be like the winner in this uh, niche digital in store. And uh, I think it's of like huge strategic value to be like the infrastructure for the physical retail. Um, and um, that's why you should uh, be owner in Vertisit. If you had to to highlight a risk factor or a black swan event, what would you say then? You could look at um, um, it. It could be from um, competitor side of the business, for example. Uh, if uh, a lot of competitors that we have, if I ask them uh, what they see as uh, as their risk, they look at what will happen when Amazon or when Google or when Adobe enter this space. Um, and uh, I actually, we don't want to be a closed system. So we actually love to like integrate to, to Adobe, for example. And I think that they will never go that deep in the tech stack. So they go to the endpoint and the playout. Uh, but there might uh, there might be like a squeeze here, um, so it it could happen uh, uh, that that the, the layer that we have becomes a commodity, um, and that's something that we always like work a lot to 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 avoid, and um, so we need we need to add a lot of like in, intelligence that in, uh, that. You can where you can benefit from putting our software in your digital ecosystem where it coexists with your CRM, your PIM system, 
and uh, your e-commerce platform uh, as well. So we want to be on the same strategic level as uh, the other platforms in the technology stack. But of course, there is a risk uh, in that. Makes sense. Uh, finishing up scaling your company, we also need to talk a bit about scaling yourself as a leader and as a business person. How has that journey been, being so consistent, growing all the time? Has that been challenging privately or has it just been a great journey for you as well as a leader, suddenly managing two people to 50 people, etc.? Um, for me, it has been a really good journey. Uh, as I said, I was 24 years old when I started the company and uh, I'm happy that I was uh, that it took time for me to grow into this <laughs> because you, obviously when you work on the same thing in 10 years, uh, all of a sudden you become pretty good at that. It, it's due to anything. If you, if you like spend 10 years of skiing, you become really good at skiing. <laughs> so, so, so uh, time, time is good, but it's also like, where what why are you into the business um, it could be that if uh, if we were three people we re really like uh, the founders adrian was really uh, operational guy uh, also like a finance perspective on things um, so he took care of like all internal like processes and routines and stuff uh, we had Oscar as the CTO uh, that have like made all the technology decision and I've been more on the marketing uh, marketing and sales side. Uh, so we always had like clear roles and you also need to see like are my core um, is my core competence valuable in this stage for the company? And uh, is this a place where I want to be? Uh, and you need to be really open when it's not. So, for example, Adrian, at one point, he said, I don't want to be the CFO when we go public. And, but he said, I want to have a strategic saying in the board. So then he moved from like uh, operational management into the board. And we had a CFO that we recruited for that, uh, that position. Um, and, uh, but for, um, for me, um, the most interesting thing for me is always like to build build company. Uh, so for me, when it becomes bigger and bigger, um, I'm um, I, I still think it's more and more fun uh, when it becomes uh, larger and uh, where uh, where as uh, still as there are things things still things to learn and uh, as long as we deliver on plan. Um, I, I think it's a great, great personal journey as well. And I'm never bored. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great reflections because it isn't right for everyone to be sort of the Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg because companies that grow change a lot, right? So yeah. certainly when you, have, when you have scale and you can talk more about this than me, but something as easy or hard as internal politics or hiring or culture will take a large chunk of your time because when you are five guys, I mean, the culture is the five persons involved, basically. Yeah, I totally agree. So I, I think it, it comes down to 
to be honest to yourself, like, am I the right for, for the challenge at this particular time? And uh, it's also be true to yourself, like, is this really what I want? And, and, uh, I, and in, in, in my, my case, uh, I really like to build companies. <laughs> I think I could build like any type of, the comp- any type of company. It's about building companies, what, what I really love. Uh, and uh, that uh, and as we like reach certain steps where we could like um, it's it's achieving like taking the next step that's what drives me and uh, I think uh, it's more fun now uh, when we are 130 people uh, than it's ever been. Do you have any any leaders or entrepreneurs who inspires you? I mean, obviously, this is a very Norwegian-ish question to ask because you can always say that Daniel Ek is the, the most incredible founder from Sweden and is taking over the world. But do you have anyone that has inspired you and you even even have met and talked to and been mentored by? Mia Brunelli first. She has been... She was the head of Chinevik. She was my mentor for uh, for two years. Uh, now she's at uh, Axel Jonsson. Um, um, she uh, she is a fantastic leader, uh, and um, she actually she inspired me a lot when it comes to to really build things upon culture instead of like processes. Um, and um, I think I learned a lot from her. Uh, and the good thing that she always had like the business, like the sales and the, the core of the business is actually always like sales. So and she, she managed to like have pure focus on how do we perform uh, sales wise and how do we really like keep the culture in place. And uh, uh, she, she really been an inspiration. But also, like I also, as others, I'm super inspired by Steve Jobs, for example, where he just can have a, like a very clear vision of what you want to achieve. Like really start with why, uh, what is the what is the overall purpose, and take that down to uh, a product in the end, and not 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 the other way around. Do you have any, just closing off, any any final uh, or some great resources or books that you can recommend or something like that? Because there's were also some question on Twitter about that. Um, that was a good question. I might come back to you with, with that. But uh, there are obviously things that are uh, really relevant in, in different uh, spectras. Um, but um, I think I come back with uh, the book recommendation. Let's maybe we can put it in the show notes. So when the episode is released, we can have some resources if yeah. Johan has some, some great tips. So I think that's it, Johan. Thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure to having you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, always interesting to like having uh, a recap of what uh, things that is past. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Christopher here again. Just a few things before you leave the show. If you like this episode, it would be great if you could give it a review and also share it with your professional network. If you want to get in touch with me, Twitter is the place. Just go to at Chris You can also find this information in the show notes. Hope to see you tune in to the next episode and take care.